Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. And before we begin, all new listeners, old listeners, if you haven't gone to whitelabelamerican.com, www.whitelabelamerican.com to subscribe, please do so. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform, um, go to www.whitelabelamerican.com and hit the review uh, button you and that will just make it easy for you you can give us five stars there and uh, you see access to your favorite podcasting platforms and either do it there or you can just do that on whatever app you listen to podcast on we prefer five star reviews on apple because that's the most popular podcasting um, app so give us five stars. It doesn't take more than two minutes of your time. It helps independent podcasters like us grow and it helps people discover us and share with your friends, families, loved ones. Or if you have a secret family, share with them too. We are not judging you. Share with everybody. Okay. Um, also, you can support us by donating. Hit the donate button. You know, give us whatever amount you want to give as low as $3, as high as uh, if you want to go Jeff Bezos and give us 100 million, hey, I'm bald too. I'm a bald black guy. So we, we accept all that. Um, dollars, euros, pounds, sterlings, we'll take it. Uh, if it's Naira, we'll have to negotiate about that. But uh, we'll, 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 we'll just give us dollars, okay? Um, yeah. Um, what else? What else? Patreon. You can join us on Patreon. Support us there too. Um, you can buy our merch. We have t shirts, we have mugs, we have. Um, stickers and we have a lot more stuff coming and i'll be turning 40 next month yes four zero forty. 40 wow. and um i think i'll i should do a, a special episode to mark that year and i don't know what i'll do officially so if you have any idea hit the contact button on www.whitelabelamerican.com and send whatever idea you have you can also leave an audio message there and if, if I like what you say, then I'll play it. I'll play it on, on an episode. Or if you have great questions that you would like for me to answer, maybe I'll get Josh to record something with me and um, Josh, my producer, and I'll answer the questions. I'll just do that for my 40th year anniversary of me being alive for 40 years. So, yes, I've lived on three continents and I've seen well, a whole con- lot of stuff. Congratulations. Thank you, my brother. So, yes, you've heard the voice of our guest. He is... Um, oh, before I get to our guest, and it's still part of our guest, um, today's recommendation is from our esteemed guest, Rachman oh, uh, Oladigbolu. Did I get it? Oh, that messed it up again. I said it right? Oladigbolu. 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 Yes. Okay. I thought I, thought I messed it up all of a sudden. Um, the movie, Theory of Conflict. So this is based on a conflict that erupted on a Boston area college campus between pro-Jewish and pro-Palestinian students. Uh, 
Um, it's uh, um, a movie that I encourage everyone to check out. Uh, and where where can they find this movie? Uh, it's uh, it's just been uh, uh, going to be released soon, not yet out. So oh, not yet out. Okay. I'll you, uh, yeah, I'll let you know. Yeah. Okay, so he will let us know while um, as we dive into the episode. But that's going to be my recommendation. I like the premise of the movie. Um, and when you get to hear more from today's guest, you understand why I recommended this movie. So let's get to meet today's guest. He's a producer, he's a writer, he's a director, he's a storyteller, he's an author, he's a filmmaker, and um, there's a lot to this gentleman whose story includes um, a seven-year illness that um, he had before moving to uh, Massachusetts. Oh, I give that. I don't. I usually save the city or the states where the person moved to. But that's I've, I've jumped ahead. But there's a. I don't like to give the states or city or the university and all that. I'd like to save that and make that all come from the guest. But um, he's conquered um, an illness. He's conquered um, a lot because if you come from the place where he was born and raised, which is where I was, um, I have history with that country. Uh, you've conquered a lot if, you, if you've been there from there. So um, I heard the gentleman speaking recently, and I was like, this gentleman is somebody that I would like to bring on the podcast because um, he, a lot of what he was saying was not what I'm used to hearing people who share a similar background with me um, say. So it's so he's someone who I believe um, I'll learn from and the audience will be able to learn from. And I am interested in hearing also about his work of art that he, he's into. He's a creative, so he's going to teach us about it. He's going to give us a lot more in, about all that. So um, with that being said, let us meet um, Rachman and welcome to the show today. How are you doing, my brother? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. So let's dive to the very beginning. You have two beautiful names, Rachman, uh, Ladigbolu. Yeah. So yeah. what are the meaning of your names? <clears throat> um, Rahman is, uh, is an Islamic name. Uh, uh, also Arabic Islamic name. So uh, as uh, I was born into a, a Muslim family, and uh, so they gave me the name Rahman. Uh, it's usually pronounced Abdul Rahman, which means uh, the servant of the merciful God. Uh, so it, 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 that first part, the servant, uh, however uh, you can interpret it, but it's, it, it shows the subject of the merciful God. And uh, my last name um, was uh, my family name, Oladibulu. Um, from Oyo town in Oyo state, it's the name of uh, um, that we use in the royal family. Um, the it came from the Oladibolu, the one uh, the Oladibolu that died in uh, two, two I mean, sorry, nineteen forty four. He was the one that chose the name Oladibolu because, according to the stories that I heard. Uh, he married someone, uh, uh, a princess from uh, another region. And so he 
chose the name to imply, you know, Ola Digbolu. Ola means wealth. So the Digbolu part of it is that all this wealth, the royal wealth coming together. So that's that's what it means, uh, Ola Digbolu. And uh, the family have been using it uh, since then. So I <laughs> woke up in my life to just know it's my name and that's it. Yeah. Oh, so you you are Oyo State, but um, not Ibadan. Uh, no, Oyo Town. Oyo Town. Okay, I don't think I ever been to Oyo Town, but I stayed in Ibadan. Uh, yeah, it's about years. twenty minutes drive from Ibadan. Okay. Oh, or maybe I drove past it. I don't know, but it's possible. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it's a small world. Small world interconnecting. Yeah. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Abdul Rahman, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a name that I'm quite familiar with, and that's uh, mm-hmm. another thing that I've had on this podcast where um, mm-hmm. a couple of the Yoruba people who've been on the podcast that have um, Muslim that come from Muslim backgrounds or Muslim families have Arabic, um, yeah. Islamic names. And, yeah. you know, it was until I started doing this podcast that I began to realize that um, all the names that are considered Muslim names mm. that were Yoruba names or for, that were uh, attached to Yoruba people were actually Arabic names. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, based on the upbringing or based on the way I, information was presented to me at that point mm. in time, it was assumed yeah. that those were Yoruba names. Or, or and, and uh, if you add pronunciation, then we'll, we'll yeah. separate the names from actual Arabic names. So mm-hmm. it, it began to dawn on me that wow, names that I used to think were, were just Yoruba names actually <laughs> have always yeah. been Arabic names. They've never it wasn't um, different from Arabic names. It was just mm-hmm. pro- a combination of pronunciation and the information that I had back then that made yeah. it look like. Um, it wasn't. It was different from an Arabic name. So yeah, Abdul yeah. Abdul Rahman. I mean, it's a, it's a, there's something interesting to that, and uh, and there's something a little bit uh, <laughs> problematic for me. Uh, the interesting thing is that it's uh, you know Islam has entered uh, the Yoruba land uh, long, long before Christianity yes. uh, came to Nigeria, and so in a way, the way it had it developed, it had mixed with the uh, Yoruba culture much more, you know, uh, that things like that would happen, that some people, you hear names, you hear certain, you know, certain words that I, I learned that we use in Yoruba are also like related to uh, uh, Arabic in some way. So it's a, it's a beautiful uh, uh, part of the history of people coming together. The challenges that I tend to have with it is that the fact that uh, uh, most of us, given these Arabic names, uh, the way we pronounce, like you mentioned, the pronunciation, how it, it comes, the way we pronounce the names, you learn at some point. Uh, in the Arabic setting itself, it's not the way um, they pronounce many of the names. <laughs> you know, so uh, you get to a point in life, I did, that you're wondering, okay, how do I pronounce my name? Because the pronunciation I grew, I grew up with, uh, learned it's different from how they pronounce, and you would have heard even several uh, multiple pronunciations that uh, it becomes a little bit confused. So, yeah. Yeah. 
it's a it's one of the uh, the things of history. You were born in um, Oyo Town, and um, so did you attend school in Oyo Town or did you attend school in Ibadan? Uh, I attended school in both. Okay. Um, I started in uh, uh, Ibadan and then moved to Oyo uh, after some time. So. So what was that experience like for you in shaping the person that you are today? There's, there are things that I, I know that uh, those two environments contributed to who I am today. Uh, though it's uh, a little bit uh, some, something I haven't really dug into to see which parts of my uh, personality or which part of what I do, who I am and things that, because I'm even when, I mo when we moved to Oyo, um, I was always shift, uh, shunting uh, between Oyo and Ibadan because uh, so I, I considered myself really <laughs> living in Ibadan because I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to go to Oyo at the time. It was just that my father uh, decided that he wanted to move the entire family, but I lived with my grandparents uh, from start, so it meant that he had to get me from my grandparents' house and take me to Oyo with the rest of the family, which I didn't want to. Uh, to go because I I was much more uh, close to my uh, grandmother than you know any anything anyone else so I didn't want to leave um, so that's why I think that uh, the to be able to pick out but definitely the school that I attended in I attended the secondary school in New York and uh, it was a very very interesting experience uh, you know you get to and Olivet you had. Uh, People from all over the country. It's a, it's that kind of a school, uh, at least then. So we had a body house, and so we had a lot of people from all over the all over the country, and that gave the opportunity to really be able to you know uh, uh, meet people from different areas and learn about uh, uh, pretty much the uh, uh, demographics of Nigeria uh, uh, as in, in a little bit, not uh, totally, but at least it, it gives you that uh, beginning. Uh, in Ibadan, Ibadan was, uh, uh, as you know, a, a cosmopolitan in a way. So that is also, you know, something that you grew up in a neighborhood with all different uh, people, largely from the Yoruba nations, uh, states around the uh, southwest. So, yeah, that it's, uh, it was also uh, uh, something that uh, is enriching. And I played a lot. I loved to play when I was uh, a little kid. And... Uh, did that a lot and moving to a year, I did that uh, quite well. But I, at some point when I, um, uh, as I met, as you must have seen in my bio, I, uh, I have sickle cell and the, it was a time when I became uh, uh, really sick from sickle cell. You know, that time I was moved to a year. So the whole period of the illness that, went all to about uh, seven years. I was just in Oyo. And, uh, and I, one thing I noticed was that at that time in Oyo, the uh, accent, the, uh, the way the Yoruba of Oyo is much uh, richer than you get in uh, Ibadan. Mm. Because Ibadan is cosmopolitan, things mix up the way people talk, almost mm. like Lagos, though there is a difference between Yoruba uh, uh, in Lagos and Yoruba in Ibadan, but it's just in the same category that it's mixed up with uh, 
all other accents and uh, they have all their own different, slightly different words that sometimes you, and pronunciation. But Oyo is the place where the language is really rich, you know, deep, going back to uh, as far as one can trace in history. Uh, so I was, uh, I realized that the language then was sinking into me more and more because the way I spoke before was largely the Ibadan version, you know, uh, that was the way I, uh, because I grew up largely in Ibadan. So it was during that period that I was in Oyo without break, you know, uh, because prior to that, when I, when I was in Oyo, it would be like you go to school in Oyo during vacation. I ran back to my grandmother in Ibadan, you know, so back and forth like that. So, uh, and the school that I spent most of my time in Oyo was also, uh, being that it was from people all over the country. So the, uh, you get a different mixes of, uh, of the Yoruba that we spoke in school as well. But being at home, uh, surrounded by everyone who lived in Oyo and uh, uh, being tended to by everyone who grew up and lived in Oyo, uh, it influenced the way I, I, I now speak Yoruba. And I think I appreciate that very much about it. So I'll, I'll come back to a question I have about your school and Ibadan. But before I do that, one important question that I always ask every guest, mm. what is your favorite childhood memory or what do you consider your favorite childhood memory? Mm -hmm. It's a tough question, I know. Yeah. You, you you can give more than one incident or well, examples. I remember those that I felt embarrassed and all of that, but you know I I didn't really consider them as uh, all that different because when I tell them now it's uh, it's but my favorite 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 then I think I enjoyed playing soccer. Mm. And uh, and I remember I remember uh, in my in Ibadan, you know, playing soccer in the neighborhood, and uh, we had a small school not far away from where we lived. That uh, in the evenings when students uh, have gone home and weekends when no one is there, uh, we will go all go to the fields. All kids from the neighborhood will go to the field and uh, start soccer uh, games. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. You know the times, all the, the soccer things, and then moving to Oyo as well. Uh, that was when <laughs> I realized that uh, I couldn't really be, uh, uh, be uh, a soccer player as I wanted to because uh, then you know in Ibadan you play a little, you run back and forth, and then you can you know you chill. It's it's just more relaxed the way we played it. But when I got to school in in Oyo, and we formed teams. Uh, during which you have to play like pros on, and then I realized it wasn't for me because with the sickle cell that I have, I tire out very, very quickly. So it's like when I pick up the ball, run from one end to the other end, yeah. I'm already done. I need like about 10 minutes to recover myself before. I, so that was, that was when I left that. Then I, I joined uh, the basketball team. Wow. Uh, Isn't which, that more stressful? <laughs> And that's what I realized. I was looking at the small, small smaller uh, page, and but yeah, it's it's really stressful because you're running back and forth, back yeah. and forth. And, oh, nah. So yeah, that's that. That was a favorite one. 
So, what, what position did you play in soccer? Um, at that time, if I, I'm trying to remember which actually. Uh, I know I've been a, I've, I've been a, a goalkeeper. Oh, what was your favorite position to play? Let's put it that way. My favorite position. Uh, I I enjoyed the fence. Uh, I enjoyed the fence very much then. Uh, because it's uh, it, it, it tend to require less running, so I did more defense then. Uh, but a few times I like to <laughs> take it all the way out, and you know, you you try to dribble to show off and uh, to do all sorts of things. <laughs> so uh, it was some things I attended, but defense was what I I, I liked most of the time. All right. So, uh, what area in Ibadan did you uh, were you living in? Oniori. Oniori. Oniori, yeah. Oniori. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. yeah it, it, from um, around uh, when you're coming from uh, Mokola, roundabout, uh -huh. yeah. and then you're, you're going to uh, Orita Mary. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, along that road. That's where Oniori is. Yeah, I've been, I've been to that area. Yeah. I've been to that area. Okay. Oyosa yeah. uh, is next to it. Abebe. Yeah, baby. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, those names. And one landmark that's uh, also close from my house, you can see the Towers Bower ah. on top of the uh, uh, Agala Hill. Agala Hill, yeah. The Towers Bower, you know, Ibadan is uh, marked with uh, hills. Yes. What was it? Like 21? The city, largely. Yeah. So, yeah. So, one of them, he had that, that Bower's Tower. Is what we call light book, and uh, one of the um, uh, colonialists they, uh, at the time, when they were living according to the, the story I heard, he built the uh, the tower on top of that hill. So mm. it's one of the landmarks in Nevada. So it's right from my house. You can you, you can see that, and uh, and yeah, one of the things we used to do then was also to go to the place and. Uh, Although there's a, it's a little bit frightening because when you people play soccer there too, as actually uh, uh, in front of the Bowers Tower, yeah. people go there for well, up until now uh, as part of uh, the tourist uh, uh, places. Yeah. So even you have people from other parts of the uh, of the world coming to uh, who are uh, touring Nigeria, they go to uh, Towers Bower as well. But the locals, people there, we yeah. they played football. They do all sorts of things in the region. So sometimes we actually had to go there to play games. Uh, but it's in the forest. Uh, it's uh, beyond the forest. Like the hill is covered with very thick uh, bushes. And it's it was a scary place at the time for us to have to go because we are more like in the valley. Uh -huh. So we have to climb up to that place. <laughs> The region of the forest is where you are afraid because the story abounded that all terrible people and stuff you find. <laughs> <laughs> so you are careful about the, the area. Uh, yeah, that's one thing about Ibadan, though. It's either you're going up or you're coming down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Ah, man. Yeah, I have good memories about, about that city. Yeah, because mm -hmm. that, that's where I learned how to drive mm -hmm. and driving. Um, um, stick, stick, uh, stick shift. Yeah. So yeah. Did you, did you in Ibadan or you just uh, 
visited sometimes. Oh no, I lived. I lived there. I lived in uh, uh, um, uh, Bodija. Bodija. Okay. Uh, I finished secondary school in Ibadan. My senior secondary in Ibadan, and yeah. uh, um, oh, you you were, you were the uh, part of the upper classes of uh, Ibadan. Then, if you lived in Bodija, ah uh, well, I. On paper, I was part of the upper classes, but <laughs> I was upper classes. <laughs> I, I was the upper classes in the upper classes area. Put it that way. Yeah, there are levels too. Those then there's another area that's goes there, even more powerful, the uh, Yagoku area and all that. Yeah, yeah because uh, my, my, my uncle was working for uh immigration and uh actually our house was opposite uh ade bendel's house oh okay yeah yeah ade bendel when when he came and he put, I, I remember, he, he I remember fixed him. the whole street he put street lights and he wanted to even change the street's name to he wanted to give us water and everything so people got mad that he's doing too much for the street I was like man if you want to give people water give it back <laughs> And yeah, so that's a whole different chapter for another day. But uh, yeah, uh, but I was doing uh, every day. I was going to fetch water. I was going to get sawdust from uh, uh, what they call the market, the Bodija market. I was, I was nothing. We lived in a good area, but if you saw me, yeah. you would just see one skinny, <laughs> one skinny boy with torn sandals, looking like yep, this this guy. You would just think he was a houseboy. <laughs> That's what I look like. <laughs> it, it was a very uh, highly gated neighborhood. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Oh, yeah, almost every street had had gates. And then, uh, yeah, and then streets in mm -hmm. there too to have gates. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah and and uh, like, area where I grew up is uh, uh, was more like the working class area, you know. So yeah, uh, yeah. We don't. I, I didn't really. Uh, pay attention to stuff like that then because I used to I, I think I used to assume that every part of Ibadan was just like that and because they didn't not every time they used to lock the gates but after um, um, I think um, we didn't have OPC in 99 but the, that there was some vigilante that they tried to have they bought vigilante and they started locking there was one period they locked uh, it was during Nigeria 99, the under 20 World Cup, and they tried to lock all the gates at after 9 p.m. They just, for some reason, they, they were like security measures and they locked all the gates at almost the same time, but it was like 9 p.m. And by then, I was now a teenager trying to be, you know, that life, young adult, I'm free. Man, coming back home, it was like, no, gate lock, gate lock, gate lock, gate lock, gate lock. Man, man, I started climbing over. <laughs> Uh, my my one my friend almost got shot one night because uh, one of Ooh. the neighbors claimed he, he thought it was a thief or something. I was like, well, we, we, we didn't we didn't understand <laughs> how it was back there, but yeah, we didn't care, we were carefree like man climbing over, climb somebody's fence and then jump over the gates. Yeah, but uh, yeah, vigilante yeah. uh, culture was uh, uh, was uh, rampant around the, mm -hmm. Nigeria, around Nigeria, I would say. Yeah. Lot of neighborhoods because of uh, robberies and stuff. So they, yeah, they, they form organizations like that that they protect the neighborhood. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Ah, but yeah, good times though, good times. Yeah. But um, Excuse yeah. Me, but 
I will uh, assume that in Bodiga, you probably won't be that vigilante. I would think everyone will be cozy in their bed. Maybe the people they hire oh, to come, come and protect. <laughs> I, I have stories for you. <laughs> there are stories that I even forgot about, but uh, sometimes they just keep coming. And then when I start talking about them, I'm like, oh, this happened. So I remember this one happening. Because there are things that, you, you know, you don't, I guess, you know, we don't consider them big deals or we don't, you know, we, we don't, it just, especially when you were a young adult, you know, you just like, yeah, we have, it, it, it wasn't like traumatic or even some that were traumatic based on how we lived our lives. You don't have the language to say this was a, this was trauma or you were in shock. So, but you know, I say you like a guy, man, like, hey, hey, you, the way of hiding, dealing with shock is you move on, you laugh about it and then you move on. So it might be years later that you realize that, oh, there was one night we were coming back and we ran into police and police grabbed all of us and they said robbery, a robbery happened. So why are you young boys? So you people are here. Why are you here? Well, but we we're coming from church. All of us had Bibles in our hands. That meant it would be weird for us to have robbed the house and then come back to that same house with Bibles in our hands. A few minutes later, just to walk past the same house that got robbed, but hey, if the police wanted to grab all of us and take us away, this was way before cell phones, we would have been gone that night. And, you know, the police had us against the wall, smacking us. Why are you here? And oh God, beg, I beg, I beg, we'll go house, we'll go house now. I'm like, ah, oh, hey, man, that, we're trying to go see that girl across there. We're like, them. okay, just let us go. We are going to run. Uh, so as they let us go, man, everybody's taking off, speeding home, taking off quickly. But, you know, as soon as you survive, I, 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 we were laughing the next day, like, man, police couldn't catch us. Ha <laughs> <laughs> And what? Yeah, that's how we dealt with it. And then we moved on. And we didn't have any internet spaces to go vent or talk about it. And, you know, and then it's years later, decades later, you're like, man, this happened. <laughs> and there are people who never got to escape that because that's how, that was the last time somebody saw them alive. And they got taken away, you know. But we never realized how lucky we were to have escaped stuff like that. But it happened in Bodija, and you know, and some of us just were lucky that maybe stuff like that happened, and we just had enough cash on us to bribe police to get out of it. And you know, that's how we got out of it. So there was, yeah, there was. <laughs> but Nigeria, it's now around that period, there were lots of police raids in Bodija, that area. It's like they were just coming every time. And I, I just had to be out so that night. night Because that was around the time I started getting my freedom. I'd always been kept indoors. And that was like how my rebelling began. So I was just uh, like... Uh, when was that? Like 1999? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when, uh, the, the, yeah Nigeria 99. Yeah, because Ibadan was one of the host cities. And I thought I would be going to the stadium to go watch games. And family wouldn't uh, give me pocket yeah, money. I, I didn't I, have I, enough I, money. So... Yeah, I was, in, I was on a sick bed in New York at that time. Oh man, we, we were pretty, we weren't far away from each other. We were in the same yeah. area, but yeah. Yeah, not too far. Ah, but man, yeah, I, I could spend all day on on on, on that side. But yeah, people don't want to hear about me. We don't want, want to come back to you. So, um, you've already given us a brief insight into your your um your your health situation. Um, when was the first time that you realized that something wasn't right, that there was something wrong? There was a health situation that you, you were sick. 
when did that occur to you that you know you weren't like every other person quote unquote uh, well it's a it's a genetic uh, uh issue yes um, you know genetic illness and so it means it's been there since you were born you know, you yeah know? Uh, but of course, yeah. For some, it, it, sometimes it manifests uh, differently from people to people. And so, for my uh, my on my own, I as far back as I can remember, uh, I've always been having the crisis. And uh, so, but asking my grandmother because, like I said, she was the one who raised me. She told me the first one I had, I was six months. Wow. <laughs> when I had the first crisis. So, uh, so yeah, I've been, I've been, it's been part of me all my life. That must have been frightening for your parents at six months. Yeah. Yeah. It must have been because, uh, you know, Nigeria doesn't have, uh, at the time it was slightly, it was better at the time in the sense that they took care of, uh, whatever the, you know, the hospitals that we, we had all around, they, they were still, uh, 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 good. No, mm -hmm. uh, that's true too. That's true. But you know, as time went on, uh, things degraded. You know, as, mm -hmm. the, uh, as the economy de uh, uh, degraded, everything else was just going down. And uh, uh, and yeah, so it has become very difficult for uh, children with sickle cell in Nigeria now, which is really a painful uh, uh, thing to imagine. You know given that you don't have good health care to, uh, to respond to uh, in terms of preventing crisis and uh, taking care of crisis and all that. Uh, from one thing that I, uh, statistics that I heard about Nigeria, we, in the last 10 years, when uh, they did this uh, study, uh, Nigeria, we've been having about 150,000 children born with sickle cell, um, and about thirty-five thousand of them die before the age of thirty. Uh, sort of before the age of five. Hey. So um, you can imagine the kind of uh, situation that it is. Uh, almost like now, when you have sickle cell in, in Nigeria, it's uh, it's it's not a good thing at all. At all. Hmm. Yeah. Around my that same time, I was in Ibadan. My older cousin, who um, he's he's Ghanaian, born and raised in Ghana, uh, he was living with us. He he had sickle cell, grew up with it, and um, by then he was closer to forty. He's still alive, but he's back in Ghana now. And he was the person that I got to see with the crisis and. Um, like you said, back back then, you know, the, we had lesser, the, the hospitals, yes, we still had issues, but, you know, the, it was still in a better state than it is today where you have, what, is it, over 6,000 Nigerian doctors departing every year. Um, yeah, we lose over 6,000 doctors a year. And yeah, you, we always took him to, to uh, um, um, What's it called? UCH. When he had a crisis, and this guy, he he's actually a bodybuilder. He was the first person that wanted to get me into bodybuilding, so he was quite big, buff, and 
you know, the, the doctors used to, used to complain, like, why why you like bodybuilding? You know, you have sickle cell. But he used to love bodybuilding, and he used to go to competitions. And But when the crisis came, he was down, and it was it was sad to see him in that state. And he lived with that all his life. He had lived with that all his life. And it was just, it was tough because, you know, if you don't have the right support system, apart from the hospitals, you know, if you don't have the right support system, that, that includes family, if you settle down with somebody, yeah, it, it's tough on the individual. It's tough. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, uh, even at that time also, I, I growing up, I remember um, things were a little bit better for me handling uh, treating the sickle cell crisis at the time because it was largely you have a family doctor mm. that uh, your parents have good relationship with and uh, knows you very well. Although I, ne I, I don't think I ever heard even the word sickle cell at the time. Uh, when uh, whenever I had it or whenever I went to the hospital, they yeah. just gave me the regimen so to take care of whatever complaints I had. Uh, so that was it. Even at those uh, private clinics that I was uh, uh, attending, so uh, the understanding of sickle cell was very very poor mm. at the time. I think it's getting better now because even throughout the time I I was in Nigeria, I hardly heard anyone talking about sickle cell. Even I myself never considered myself, you know, uh, uh, having sickle cell like that. I just, it was the crisis that I knew that I was having. Yeah. And that used to describe myself knowing that, you know, it was after growing up that I learned about sickle cell myself to know, okay, this is where it came from. And all the being genetic or anything, I never knew anything about that. So uh, I, I had zero knowledge, actually. It's just like, it knocked me down. Yeah. I'm there, I'm sick. They took care of me. And then uh, I began to go and I'm off again. And so, yeah, that was, uh, but I think now uh, people are talking about it more uh, in Nigeria as well. Even I just, uh, it was about two years ago that I just decided, realized that I have to uh, uh, keep this part of my story uh, not hidden because it wasn't something I would talk about whenever I'm talking about myself. Or, uh, and, it, and it wasn't that I haven't, I've known for some time now. And but just the idea of uh, uh, saying I have sickle cell, I'm, I'm a sickle cell patient and things like that was not uh, anything I, I, I ever decided. Even when I wrote the memoir that I, I talked about, which uh, detailed all the period of the illness and uh, coming to America, I probably used the word sickle cell maybe once if I did, you know, uh, there was a, there was a, a cringe back from describing yourself in that way, which, but it was later, I, I have a, a, a two support groups that I'm part of now. And in the last two years, you know, we've talked about it a lot, often uh, once a month, and then we have a WhatsApp uh, group. So that has encouraged me to also uh, be able to come to terms with uh, uh, talking about it. And uh, and I realized also that we need to talk a lot more about it because uh, 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 for here in this part of the world, it's very challenging 
have been super self patient, uh, but the, but the uh, support and the healthcare is catching up, moving further to be able to help. So, but you can't compare that to what we have in Nigeria. And as much as uh, when you look at that, you really want the you want the Nigerian system, the government, and for, to be able to realize the problem of healthcare that we have and how many people dying just because uh, you know. It's like UCH that, that you took uh, uh, your cousin. UCH, from what I heard, I think it was in the 60s or something, it used to be like the, one of the top 10 uh, hospitals in the world. Yes. From what I heard. Yeah, I heard of that too. By the time I was uh, uh, in, I came out of secondary school, I think that was the time I was more uh, social beyond my neighborhood in Ibadan. I... UCH was a very traumatic place for me, just passing through. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't that uh, I, uh, that I, I was taking public transportation, I probably would never take that area of UCH. It became traumatic area for me I, because a lot of people that I knew at the time, when they had an illness or any issue, they take them to UCH. The next thing you hear is that the person has died. Yeah. So I heard that repeatedly, repeatedly, and it just became such a terrible place that I didn't want to, you know, uh, imagine myself going or passing by. So, so it was scary when I, when I uh, had the uh, the major uh, crisis that I had that uh, uh, spanned about seven years. That I said the first place they took me was though I first went to a private hospital, uh, a family uh, uh, practice that I. I've been going to ever before. And after about a week or two, a week or more or so, uh, the doctor said uh, he couldn't handle it anymore, that they had to transfer me to UCH. I was like, oh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, that, oh, no, I don't want to go to UCH. But, you know, I was in so much pain. I was in so much distress and everything. But, so the parents uh, had to decide, and I was taken to UCH, and uh, the whole period it was still terrible stories that I had from UCH. Very, very bad for the system, for the people themselves. You know, that's you see how human beings, uh, how capable of doing good for ourselves that we can. I remember in that ward, we had um, we were about between ten and twelve. Uh, sickle cell patients in that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of us were able to provide, because you have to buy your own med- medicines from outside. Yes. You have to buy your own uh, uh, your food. Bring food. Bring yeah. And some of them, they had they had it there, but you know, this, uh, they, they would sell it. So you had people who could afford it because I remember a friend of mine that uh, uh, it was just an acquaintance before. Then we met in the in that ward. That was when I realized that he also had uh, uh, the crisis, as we call it then, you know. And uh, but he he was from a a, a a very upper class family, wealthy. So the money was not an issue for for her uh, for him. So he and then you have some other people. I could also provide my grandmother at least could provide. Uh, uh, funds for what I what it needed, but you had some other people in there that uh, it was difficult for them to buy 
uh, anything they wanted to, they needed, you know, so it was difficult. And they, the nurses, everyone, the doctors was like, there was nothing they could do. If you don't have the meds, what do we give you? You know, mm. so uh, in there, some of us, uh, we would now start to whatever anyone needed that they didn't have. And we have, we started to share among ourselves. So that was the only only bright thing that I saw there. It wasn't a UCH thing. It was the the patients themselves that we uh, try to help one another with uh, with medicines. Okay. So it's terrible to imagine uh, uh, situations like that. Yeah. Major hospital in, uh, in in Nigeria. It is. It is a major hospital, and yeah, that that you you reminded me. That's uh, yeah. I I recall something like that happening for my cousin. Um. Uh, also, the the sad part of um, there was one time my cousin had a major crisis and he was at UCH for over over was it about two weeks or so. He was on admission, or more than two weeks, like uh, two weeks to a month, something like that. He he was at the hospital, and at the end of his stay, only two people, himself and one other person in the ward were still alive almost everybody yeah who, who was in the ward had passed away and he was like get me out of here i want to get out i want to get out because i think that just made him freak out more and i oh, i would have freaked out too it wasn't like you know something that i would people were just like oh you know just wait until you get better i'm like how you know i'm looking back now i'm like okay he was right to be freaking out. Everybody around you is dying. Well, why would you be saying, wait, take the medicine, get treated? No, treat you. He will feel, of course, you'll be better off at home. Saying, I want to be better off. I want to go home and get, send the medicine. Tell me what to take. I'll take it at home. I don't want to stay here. You know? The same thing. I eventually left uh, UCH. I, I told him I was going because mm -hmm. uh, my situation was the fact that the treatments they moved me here because I was at an emergency state. That was why my doctor moved me there. Yeah. For the first week, it was almost like nobody knew exactly what to do with me. Right. They were giving me <laughs> uh, morphine to reduce pain, uh, but to actually know what they wanted to treat or how they wanted to, nobody knew for like one week. So I was just there, you know, uh, in pain. In what my uh, one, my uncle uh, uh, and cousin came to the hospital. The moment they entered the ward, and they saw me, that my cousin just she was the one that made me realize that I was in a really bad shape because I was still holding myself. She saw me and she just burst into tears and started crying, just oh. looking at me, and I was like how do I look? But nobody, will, I asked for a mirror, but nobody will give me a mirror, you know? Yeah. So uh, I was at that kind of stage. And then after a week, that was when uh, a nurse suggested to the doctor that was, although the doctor was a very nice caring, it was just that she didn't know. Right. Because I don't know how they educate in medical schooling about uh, 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 sickle cell. Even here in, mm -hmm. in the United States and some other parts, they don't, educate uh, doctors and nurses well about sickle cell. So that's part of the problems that we're trying to uh, uh, make sure that we, 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 we kill. So they didn't, so one nurse now told the doctor that 
you should go and get uh, the hematologist. Uh, then she went to the uh, consultant, what the, uh, the head doctor, they call consultant, to request for uh, him to come and see me. The day the guy came, he was, I didn't know him, I never seen him before. Uh, some of my family were there to see me, so they were seated next to my bed. And this man came in with a bunch of uh, student doctors, and they were going from bed to bed, and I, you know, that's typically how they, they did. Yes. So he got to me, and he just stood like uh, about six feet away from my bed. Uh, and after, you know, he just stood there, he didn't say anything. Then I asked him that, uh, what did he need? Uh, what, you know, what he wanted to do? He said, then he said, well, gesture to my family that was there, implying that he didn't want anybody to be there. So meeting them was uh, uh, something that I have, an error I have committed, yeah, having my family right. with me. And uh, so as he was standing there, I told them, I told uh, my family there that I think uh, this doctor needs to see me and uh, he wants you to move. So they started to move away. But as they were moving away, the doctor has gone to the next bed. And he went through all the beds and then he walked out. He didn't come back to me. He didn't, you know. So my doctor that uh, uh, called for him now came back in the uh, later yelling at me that, why didn't you, you know, prepare? Why didn't you let the doctor see what? you? Why? You know, I'm like, what the? Come on. It wasn't my problem. The doctor was here. We were, I mean, I, I just didn't understand what was going on. And so she told me that the, uh, the doctor said uh, people were there obstructing him to work with me and he had to leave. So then I said, that's not what happened, but please go and request again. I'll make sure that whenever I see him, my place is cleared. So she put in another request for the same doctor, but for one week, the guy did not come. Look at God complex. He, he was punishing me for what I did, it was like I wasted his time. That's what he continued to do. So the, my doctor explained to me and all of that, but she kept just uh, insisting. That was when he eventually came, a week after. Wow. <laughs> uh, so uh, so if, good thing that you're here to be able to tell this story, but if you had not made it, then that doctor will now be... We, we will, huh. He will never think of it, see the... You will never think of it. It's not. It's not his problem. Hmm. And we know that there are people who who did not make it out of a situation like that, and no one's held held to account. And that, that, that's why I'm I'm just like, man. That, how many times did I? It, man, it's it's yeah. Like that that's that's why I'm I'm I'm, I'm like you know the. Some a, a previous guest on the podcast, and I think you will like this brother Joshua Idehen. He's he's based in Sweden. He's, he's a musician, and he, he said there's there's hardly anybody who anyone who survived Nigeria. You you, you deserve you should you should see a therapist. Man. We should all, we all deserve to see a therapist because man, we've survived something in that country. We've all survived something in that country. But man, some more than others. But there's yeah. there's always different layers to our survival. Yeah. But well, in, a, in, a, in another sense, we're still part of it because 
uh, when you are able to get out and be in a better, uh, in a country that you have uh, access to the normal things of life, like you want healthcare, jobs, and all this, hmm. you have uh, uh, your huge family are still there. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and you can't, uh, you can be separate from what's still going on. Though you're not there physically to experience it, but it's always tormenting you because you see your families, mm. you know, uh, uh, going through the same thing, and uh, uh, you see friends, families, everyone that you see. So uh, it's never—I uh, don't think it's something you ever come out of until we try to make sure that you know we have good governance in that country. It's a complete, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a situation. Especially now that you, know, you have a you have a leadership that doesn't respond, doesn't care to. I, I, I don't know if we will be able to. That 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 is that that would that would be that that's not even part two. That's like part three. If we're going to go to leadership, but <laughs> we'll just only focus on you. Let's because see that that might that might even open the Pandora's box with me if we're going to go to leadership. <laughs> but before we, we continue with your story, let's take a quick break. Hi everyone, we've made it two years and who would have thought so? So let's go further and make it three, make it four, make it five, make it six, who knows? 20. But we can't do this without your support. So join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash white label American POD pod or linktree.com slash white label American. Go there and you will see our Patreon link and you can join us for as low as $3. We have bonus content, we have bonus materials. There's so much juice over there that we don't release to the public. And yeah, you can contribute in making this podcast better. You can send questions, you can send your ideas. And also there's a lot of new things that are coming. The announcements are made on Patreon first because we have to, you know, take care of people who help make this podcast possible so you can be the one to make this podcast what you want it to be come join us on patreon and make it what you like to see join us make it fantastic keep the five stars coming in keep the love coming in thank you for the privilege of your company welcome back everybody thank you for staying with us so um you will arrive in america um what, what year did you arrive in america um 2000 first year of the millennium <laughs> oh yeah yeah 2000 y2k um what do you remember what flight you took what airline um it was uh i'm trying to remember it was this because i know we first went to netherland oh klm it was a klm yeah this klm need to come sponsor this podcast you see <laughs> i've had how many guests now on this podcast klm klm Whoever, somebody listening, me, you guys need to go get KLM. Come sponsor this podcast. You brought a lot of people to America on this podcast. Yeah. There's something going on with you and there's a connection there. Just bring the money. Bring the money. You know, you have to give us all your money, but just bring bring the money. See, that's why I like, I love asking that question. I came with KLM too. So, oh, okay. yeah, I always ask my guests, like, what, what, what was the airline that brought you? Yeah, but you don't want to know my story. I messed up on my own, on mine though, but it's okay. So it's interesting that I've been to Nigeria again uh, multiple times. 
I can hardly remember <laughs> you know, uh, the airline or, you know, but that very first one, it's like etched into your brain. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you, the feeling of you're, you're taking a huge step in your life, you're, yeah. you know, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's always there. <laughs> so um, you went straight to uh, Boston. Yes. Uh, was that always the plan? Um, yes, because uh, m- my uncle uh, was living here. He still lives here. So he was the one who you know, brought me here uh, because uh, when my spending all the, the years and things, uh, I felt better at some point, but by the time, uh, by 1999, that we're talking about, I, I my hips, because... Uh, it has damaged both my hips mm-hmm. at the time and uh, even some other joints, knees and shoulders, and you know, but uh, uh, the hips were the worst because I couldn't move around. So my uncle uh, brought me here to uh, uh, treat at the, uh, the hospital where he worked. Um, he, he was an anesthesiologist in that hospital, so he put all the things together to be able to and the and the payment for you know all of it so yeah he brought me here so i've always known that he lived here in boston and so yeah so um after you arrived what was your first surprise with boston or with america in general um my first surprise. I'm trying, I'm trying to think. Do I? I think my perhaps my first surprise would be okay. Yeah, I think uh, one of them that I remember now is at the hospital because I pretty much came and just a few days at home before I moved to the hospital and uh, the treatment started. So probably I think the first surprise was when I was served rice at the hospital, and uh, <laughs> it was like. Uh, you know, we in Nigeria, we live on rice and <laughs> when we eat rice. And so it was like something you can't even hold in one hand. You pour it in one hand. You, can, you know, it was just tiny little bit. And and I called it those. And, uh, and there was no stew. It was some other yeah, things. Uh, so. legit. And I, I called the nurse. I said, can I have more rice? You know? <laughs> and she said, yeah, sure. She went again. She brought another one. It was still a little small addition. I was like, then I asked, uh, where were you making this rice? Can you bring a big bowl of rice? <laughs> and she was like, hungry. Get a, man, a man's food, not a baby's food. <laughs> uh, oh, man, you remind me of my mom. My mom had uh, my mom been here for how many years? And it was the last time she had surgery at <laughs> the hospital. <laughs> she still had a similar reaction. <laughs> And they brought food for her. And she's an older woman. And she's like, hey, why, why are you? Why, 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 that nurse, that nurse, that nurse is, uh, I think she's a Ghanaian. That's why she gave me this small food. I said, it's, it's not because it's a Ghanaian that she's bringing. It's just the hospital, that's the hospital size rice. Eh? Why do you bring small rice like this? She, she don't like to give Nigerian woman a lot of uh, rice. I said, oh boy. <laughs> You've been in America for many years. <laughs> Another story that, that I remember about uh, 
the, uh, uh, being in a, a new place was a, a day I wanted to send a letter. And it was the first time I walked up to <laughs> the mailbox oh, on yeah. the street. And I was looking for where to throw in. You know, in Nigeria, you see that you just throw your letter in. Mm-hmm. And I was looking around for where to put the letter. And uh, and a woman was passing by and she looked at me. Then she opened, pulled it uh, from underneath the way. She pulled <laughs> it open for me. And I said, oh, thank you. <laughs> but then she rubbed it in. I, I guess she rubbed it in without, you know, unwittingly, perhaps, of course. Then she said, where are you from? I said, Nigeria. I said, God bless you. <laughs> you know? ah, Why well, she have to do that? <laughs> I guess you want oh. to do that. Yeah, good. Good thing it wasn't my brother she did that. That would have started a fight. <laughs> that was the kind of stuff that starts fights my elder brother. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. <sighs> so, how, how did you begin to embrace your, your, your love for storytelling and, um, you know, not go the, the usual... And nothing wrong with the, the Nigerians or the Africans in this, or the immigrants in this, uh, well, the rest of uh, people in this route. But, you know, it's like there's an expectation for us. When I say us, I mean the Nigerians or Africans, you know, who migrate here. It's like, you're not supposed to go into the creatives. Yeah. Storytelling. Well, what is that? My friend, banking. Engineering, you know, you go there, nursing. Okay, if you don't do that, nursing is guaranteed. Medicine, guarantee. You know, uh, the uh, doctor, guarantee. You know, that uh, accounting, guarantee. They, 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 there's people need accountants all the time. There's guarantee. So, how, how did you follow? You see, how did you decide to follow your passion? How did you get into that and say, okay, this is what I want to do, this is where I want to be? How, how, how were you able to decide to go where you want to go? Um, he actually, I, I, I was, I was also, uh, intending to go into those popular, <laughs> uh, areas, but, uh, the idea of making films, uh, you know, telling stories through films, uh, started very early on for me. Um, the, the one I can, I, as far as I can re- remember, it was immediately after secondary school or just the year that we were leaving secondary school because um i remember reading you know we used to read a lot of novels you remember that that's yeah uh, are very few but you read it you pass it along to the next person and you know that's right that. so, do you still have people who never returned your novels <laughs> of course you always ended up somewhere that you, <laughs> you never hear it again uh so we uh and you have this urge to want to share the story with others. That was what mm-hmm. I, I remember when I remember the evolution of uh, going into telling stories. Um, you read a, a novel and it's so good and you want to share it with your friends because you want to 
tell the story to your friends uh, as human beings you know we we love stories stories part of our nature uh, actually you take stories away we probably are nothing you know so uh, that drive wanting to share the stories and you realize i realized at the time that uh, it just struck me that you know if you make this book into a, a film People will, you know, instead of tell, uh, sharing with one friend, telling one person the story, then you have more people, you know, uh, uh, hearing the story, benefiting from whatever, you know, whatever you want to share in the story. That it was uh, there that it struck me, and I started thinking of uh, uh, how to make films because you know I knew nothing about it. I couldn't even take a, a photograph well. So, but that, luckily, they, in my neighborhood in Ibado, there was um, a gentleman that. Uh, studied film in uh, uh, at NYU, and uh, he came back to Nigeria. Uh, he came, you know, the, uh, he chose to go back to Nigeria to help uh, uh, revitalize the film industry because, as you know, the film industry was coming up and it was doing well until uh, somebody, <laughs> Mr. Buari, came to office and the. <laughs> Uh, in, in 1983, hey. and the economy, uh, uh, things started going south. Mm -hmm. Although it wasn't just him. I, mean, I yep. was connected with even the, the people who were before. But yep. It was around that time in the 80s that things started to really go bad because that was when uh, um, the film industry started to shut down. By late 18, 80s, uh, many of the cinemas that we had in Nigeria, they were already... Oh, yeah. Shutting up, coming no, no, no. uh, uh, clothing stores and, mm -hmm. and things like that. So, yeah, it was when that happened. But uh, this man went back to Nigeria to be part of the revitalizing group, and so then they started that uh, they were uh, the television station in Ibadan, uh, BCOS. Oh yeah, so BCOS. He, yeah. So he was among the pioneers of the, of the station. Uh, they started it and they, it was working, but unfortunately, through politics, they've kicked him out. <laughs> and uh, some other people, actually, I had one of my uncles also was there as a, uh, part of the pioneers. They kicked them both out. And it's something like when you see people creative like that in some way, sometimes it's hard to want to do anything else. True. So it's like that, my uncle, since he left uh, BCOS, you know, uh, he hasn't really done anything steady you know again since then and so this uh, uh gentleman that came from uh, new york at the time and i knew about him he was just next to my house so i went to him we have been saying him that you know since after he was fired he will be there there's a, a a small house at the back of their house when he wakes up in the morning that's where he goes to sit down and he, it's like his office he'll be there uh, walk, walking, He's, you know, I I later realized that he was writing scripts, doing all sorts of things that, you know. So I went to him, and uh, and that's that was he was the one who showed me the first film script uh, that that I ever saw in my life. So wow. uh, he encouraged me, but he didn't want me to. He wanted me to go to school first. Mm. So he always insisted to go and learn filmmaking first, because as you know, around that time also. Uh, the uh, uh, industry that we call Nollywood uh, uh, 
uh, that they call Nollywood, I should say, because yep. I, I, call it, I, I call it now because I, I just accepted it. I don't like the, the name Nollywood, you know, but the industry in itself was just starting out and it was, you know, the new filmmakers through the idea that they wanted to sell tapes. You remember the yes. story of, of the industry. Mm -hmm. So, and then you start, you, you started to have people who wanted to make films, but there wasn't really film schools nope. that uh, people would go to. So it was more like people just uh, uh, learning as they go, you know, uh, but he, he was like, he didn't want me to do that. He said, you should go to school, learn how to do it because if you just begin here and you start to do it, just like it, there are some other people that he saw there that there wasn't any improvements in the technicalities of film production. It was more like the money-making aspect trying to make, but you know, uh, all of that is, it's a completely different uh, story in itself. So I said, okay, so I, 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 I've been looking for schools and tried a, uh, a few areas. And uh, so it was in the process that uh, the illness started and, uh, and that held me you know, through all those years that I was uh, in bed. But somehow uh, I have developed uh, a strong passion for film because before that time, as I was looking to uh, find a school uh, outside the country, actually, because the only one I saw was uh, was like a small program in, in uh, was far away from me as well. So moving there, I was trying to get there. I actually went to the place to meet the director and all of that. But at the same time, I was so I became ill. And be, also, I've been going to libraries to look mm -hmm. for uh, film uh, film books. Uh, I was going to USI, USCIS, I think they call it. No, no, USIS. USIS. Uh, yeah, US, I, is it US, USCIS? No, no, USCIS is immigration. Uh, USAID. Yeah. USIS was the, what it was called then. It was oh. a Bodega. Oh, yeah. I know, it's, I, know, I know the one you're talking about, but I'm, I'm mixing up the name with USIS. Yeah, but I, 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 know, I know what you're talking about. I, I, I'm seeing the place in my mind right now. Yeah, yeah in Bodega. So mm -hmm. go there. Uh, to read books because I went to even the British Council as well. Yes, British Council. And uh, at the USIS, I, that's where I saw a lot of like the the cinematographer, the American cinematographer, the magazine, the industry magazine for uh, uh, cinematographers. Uh, you know that was really something. You know, seeing uh, uh, all the equipment and seeing people at work reading you know, the stories of the filmmakers, how they were making the films, all of this became what I was doing. And uh, and reading books and script writing on all sorts of directing. And so I was doing all of that before the illness started. So it has become really ingrained in me that I didn't want to do anything else. Uh, so I remember after, after uh, once I told my father that I wanted to be a filmmaker, he was like, what? What, 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 what do you want to do with film? Uh, and he, he disagreed. He didn't like it. He was like, so I stopped talking to him about it uh, because I lived in another city at the time now. But when I became uh, ill and I was, uh, uh, I was on the sickbed there, <clears throat> a lot of the books that I have acquired, film books and, and magazine that I have, because I would tell my uncle here to send me this magazine, that magazine and stuff. So a lot of all those things, I got them with me. So they were right next to my table uh, uh, when I was on the sick bed. Although it took a long time before I could even be able to <laughs> pick one book because 
uh, during the time I actually became completely paralyzed from my neck down yep. so that I couldn't move, you know, so um, they were just there, but the, just seeing them there kind of like kept giving me the will to want to survive that, you know, I just want to have a taste of this. Even I remember I used to pray that, you know, uh, I want that God should heal me, even if uh, uh, to save me not from dying at that moment that just let me make one film that even if it's just one film and then you take me fine let's do it <laughs> you know that mm. I just I wanted to experience it and uh, you know that because it was really uh, the illness was really bad at the time so uh, that was how I uh, got it going and uh, so when I came here I started looking uh, uh, into groups in the neighborhood around Boston making films. Uh, I, I worked with the community TV stations and, you know, uh, and things like that. And, but it has become part of me that I didn't feel like I wanted to change to do anything else. Wow. Well, that, that, I, I hope anyone listening takes the gems that you dropped because Man, I, I used to walk past all these places in Ibadan and I never realized the I never realized how much how much use I could, you know, there was so much that I could have been doing by going to these places. I I I could have, you know, I, I think I was just so much in my misery that I was just like, yeah, there's nothing in the world for me and, you know, I I was reading my novels though, but I could have even been going there to get novels. If, yeah, even yeah, if it was yeah. just for only that, you know. So yeah. That, that's why there. when you mentioned uh, the U.S. Uh, I.S. place, uh, I was yeah. like, yeah, I know that place. I know that place. It yeah. was there. I actually also first got a window into the American society. Because yeah. the only thing we knew about America at the time were just the Terminator films and all those films <laughs> that we watched. That was the only thing, we, you know, because uh. the, uh, the communication wasn't as... Uh, uh, as strong as what we have today with the yeah. social media and everything. So you, uh, a few times, those who had the money, that their parents had the money, they have uh, the satellite dish mm -hmm. that you could uh, you see flickering CNN and stuff like that. But but for me, yeah, it was the place that it opened me up, uh, especially the book uh, the book I read there. It was the place I first read uh, Malcolm X autobiography, you know, mm. uh, that was where I, I I I saw that and I you know kind of like wow. So man, I gotta I gotta bring you back again for another because there's there's a lot of questions I won't be able to ask you because I have to wrap up now. But um, one question I have to ask you before I go is uh, music. Uh, how how do you use music for your storytelling? Like, just give us three artists that you use. That you you would love to collaborate with when it comes to using music to work. Um, it, it's using music. You think of music based on the mood of the film mm. or, or different parts of the film. So, uh, I have used like uh, uh, my first film, Soul Sisters. Uh, I I used a. Uh, quite a number of, uh, I use music from Asha. Hey, Asha. In a way that fits certain places that what are, you know, you're trying to do. Not, you know, there's something you want to evoke a kind of mood 
-hmm. you know, in a certain area, you let the music follow the uh, uh, the storyline, what's happening on screen. So I used Asha, a few of them, and then uh, uh, then also Neka. Neka, yeah. You know, I, I use uh, uh, Neka's uh, music as well in that film, and then I used uh, Angelique Kijo. Uh, hey, that's my auntie. I, I know those. They were, I was really pursuing around, pursuing them around to be able to get the copyrights uh, permission to use the, the. Yeah, so I because I felt like I could. I didn't have any other thing to put in there. This just had to, you know. And in theory of conflict, I uh, found myself using um, uh, Fatumata Diawara. Uh, she's a, a a musician from Mali. Yep, it's very beautiful uh, uh, music. So I I used uh, some of her songs in. I like in her music. Theory yeah. of conflict and uh, and um, and I opened the theory of conflict with a very beautiful piece by Ibei. You know the the two uh, Cuban girls, uh, Cuban Yoruba girls in uh, in that they're making. Uh, yeah, they're called Ibei. They're twins. You know, and, uh, I, I know Ibei is twins, but I don't think I know the Cuban girls. I have to check their music. Yeah, no, they're the, they're the ones. They're, yeah, they, I think, they, yeah, they live in Cuba. They're from oh, Cuba. They, okay. That's I have to know. check them out. I'm not, I'm not familiar with their music. I just know the word Ibei. Yeah, because there is a, uh, a, a huge part of Cuba that's uh, during the slave trade. Yeah. Brought from the Yoruba land. So, so they still preserve uh, a, a lot of the Yoruba uh, traditions and stuff over there. Mm -hmm. uh, even more than a lot of Yorubas do today, you know. So uh, yeah, that's where. So they did. Uh, there's a piece they did that I really love. I just used that to open the film because it's it's a it's a piece that's more like a, a offering to the gods, to the Yoruba gods, of like opening something, and uh, it, it's it seemed to me uh, something that's parallel to what the Muslims would do when we want to say anything or we want to pray bismillah rahman rahim which ah. is you know, yeah uh, okay. but this one it, it's a grand they make it into a beautiful music of you know that kind of offering and i and for what i wanted to do in theory of conflict i didn't i couldn't see anything better uh, anything more fitting for you know so yeah all right so um final well no that, i don't call that final question favorite food because we you know officially wrapping on a light note favorite cuisine that you eat now like you know you go your favorite go-to cuisine right now what is it uh, rice will never leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> this man is not divorced from the rice <laughs> so which rice which rice is it <laughs> Which rice is it? Bismati rice? Is it Uncle Ben's rice? Which rice? <laughs> it's uh, more the uh, uh, Uncle Ben's type. Uncle Ben's. So is, is it is it is it with Yoruba stew or which one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, uh, when I uh, started living alone, I moved out from my uncle's uh, place and started living alone, and uh, it was the easiest thing I could cook. And then <clears throat> also learning to cook all sorts of things. So I was making stews and mm -hmm. doing all the or rice was the constant go-to. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I bah, and but you know, it's it, rice as uh, my favorite food. Before I left Nigeria, that I always said my favorite food was 
Amala. Hmm. I haven't seen Amala now in a while. Perhaps being from Oyo mm-hmm. and Bekiri. Hey, Amala Bekiri. Amala and Bekiri. I just, you know, it was my world. So I still love it now, but uh, I've not been able to, you know, all the years yeah. have access to Bekiri, especially because it's uh, it's something, it's very complicated making Bekiri. It is. Uh, and yeah, I don't try. I'm not even trying that. <laughs> making that, that 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 sound that's good because I remember going to a friend's house one time. Uh, interestingly, it was actually during the time I was filming Theory of Conflict, and I visited the guy and they made amala for me, <laughs> and I was happy. I ate amala, not knowing that the amala was not fully cooked. Aye. It's easy for people to just do it, and you think once it's solid together, it was you know. But no, <laughs> there, is, there is a way they. So the next day, I was on the on the set, uh, shooting a, a classroom set with about 150 students and crew. Uh, on a, and I kept going to the bathroom. <laughs> oh no! Oh, <laughs> again no. and again, again and again. You know, it was oh. crazy. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! We, we don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so. Since you're a lover of rice, do you do you do you have any rice from any other culture that you you like that you have, that's a that's a close favorite to your uh, white rice and Yoruba stew? Um, yeah, I I actually enjoy uh, all kinds of rice. The only one that I know that I didn't enjoy was, and that's why I probably don't even know the name. It's the brown rice that uh, it has. Sorry. Uh, it's not just the color, but it has a, there's a way to it that somehow it didn't gel with me and I don't go there. But yeah, well, what do you eat like brown rice with? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, I, I, can't, yeah. I go with it. And uh, uh, the black rice uh, that Haitians make, I love it. Yeah, Asian <laughs> I food, I love almost, I think I don't, yeah, I, every Asian food I've eaten is, it's like we say, flames. Yeah, it's flames. I love Asian food. Indian restaurants, I enjoy that. The Chinese restaurants. Oh, Chinese, 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 Chinese. Chinese can have my money. Chinese and Vietnamese, they they can have me anytime, any day. They know me. They are my people. (laughs) All right, final question. What would you like to leave the audience with? This is a freestyle moment. It can be a line from your memoir, it could be from. Anything that's up to you. Um, I I will say I I I don't have personally have uh, something that I could say I'm picking from. Uh, it's something that has been uh, instructed uh, from time immemorial uh, when it comes to learning about humanity, learning about you know some inf- knowledge that we must. No, we must have. Uh, so it's the most consistent uh, instructions that I've heard, that I've seen across the generations from the moments that humans started uh, communicating. Like, and it is that know thyself. Know thyself. Hmm. And, uh, and it's 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 very simple to say. Uh, and I've also been uh, saying it for a long time that man know thyself. That's the but it, it took a long time before I actually realized what it's what I have to do, you know, and uh, and 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 others like that. And uh, so yeah, I will say, man, people should uh, look inward. It's 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 very important to understand oneself why we're here and you know 
without that, we have a, we have a lot of problems. And in religions, in our religions, they are not uh, the ones that we practice from Nigeria, the uh, uh, imported religions that we have. They are not that clearly stated in those uh, uh, two religions. They are more like uh, uh, devoting to the prophets uh, uh, stuff like that, but not well into you doing the work to yeah. actually go find yourself because it's not something you can tell anyone to do that you can do for anybody. You can say it, but it's a different ball game when you, you have to do it yourself before it can be really be something that you know. So thank you for that. So since we didn't get to talk a lot more about um your 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 works, um your your movies, uh please plug in your upcoming projects, you know, where people can find it, your where people, people should be expecting to find it, you know. Just plug yourself in, please plug yourself in. Uh, um yeah, the uh film that I'm working on now is titled A Private Experience. And uh, uh, I, 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 I'm sure a lot of people will be uh, familiar with that. It's a story uh, based on a story written by uh, Chimamanda Adichie. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's one story that since I read, the, since I read it, uh, I have made up my mind that this has to become a film, you know, and I have been really devoted to it uh, for quite a while. So right now it's uh, what we're working on to, to bring out. You can see the story in uh, 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 Adichie's uh, uh, short story books that she published in 2009. You, know, you can find it there. And, I, and it's also on, when you type in a private experience, you also see the story uh, in the Vanguard, the UK Vanguard, oh sorry, UK Guardian. So. Yeah, people should, those who have not read it should go read it. But I've been talking to people for some time. I know quite a lot of people have read that. And uh, it's a story that stands out for a lot of people as well. So that's all I'm working on. And uh, hopefully uh, by early next year, we will be talking of uh, a release time. Okay. You know. All right. So before then, hopefully we'll have you back to come talk about more about the st stuff we didn't cover and to also bring more awareness to sequel cell and then we'll also have you by the time you release the the, the movie you know we'll have you again so yes we have you so we expect to have you back two more times you know and maybe after i've had uh, our good friend rudolph okonkwo dr damages yeah, we'll have you. Maybe we'll have you again for a Nigerian special when we do the Nigerian Independence special. I'm I'm, I'm overdue to have an episode on that. <laughs> so thank you again, my brother Eshel for uh, Eshel Gon for coming on the podcast. You know, I appreciate thank you. Thank you. you very much. All right. So for everyone listening, thank you for the privilege of your company. Don't forget to subscribe. Keep the love coming in and share the the episode. Share the love and uh, yeah, donate, support, subscribe. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, 
or have someone who will be a good guest on the show or you want to be on the show send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com and make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support. <laughs>